The nation was at war with itself. There were 12 states in the nation, and 11 states were coming after one of the states. Well, actually, they were just coming after one person who, through a bizarre set of circumstances, had become the leader of this rogue state. Several years into the Civil War, the leader of the 11 states was killed. And over the next seven years, gradually, the heart of those 11 states began to turn toward the leader of this one rogue state. Now, I'm going to guess that many, if not most of you, know the the circumstances to which I'm referring here. You know, I'm talking about Israel and its very first king, Saul. When he became jealous of the attention that David, the commander of his armies, was, was garnering and was, was, was gathering a lot of attention going to him. So Saul became jealous and eventually decided, I'm going to have to kill this guy if I'm going to keep my throne because the hearts of the people are turning toward him. When Saul was killed, his son, Ishbosheth, was established as king. And he was king over those 11 states for seven years. But during that time, as I said, the hearts of the people began to turn toward David. And when Ishbosheth was assassinated, one by one, the 11 other tribes came to Hebron to see David and ask him to be king over all Israel, over all of God's covenant people. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, when we see, we, 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 we read about these 11 tribes coming one after the other, to David and saying, hey, we want you to be king. And in the middle of all these representatives coming and going, we read that the men of Issachar, men from the tribe of Issachar, who had an understanding of the times, sent representatives to ask David to come and be king over all Israel. Now, now granted, all the other of the other 11 tribes had sent representatives too. So we could say, okay, well, they understood the times as well. They were men and and women of discernment when they sent their leaders to say, hey, go bring David back as king. But the men of Issachar were singled out as having unusually keen insight into the times, into the days in which they were living. Could, who knows, maybe, maybe these men had led the rest of Israel. Maybe they had said, sent representatives around to the other tribes and said, isn't it time for us to go get David? Well, we don't know the details about it, but we do know that God singled them out as having unusual discernment. God was the same as He had always been, but He was doing a new thing. And the men of Issachar understood that. And they led the nation, very likely, in doing God's will. I think that, that that's sort of the sense of our, our last core value, creativity, innovation, and excellence. We've spent the last three weeks, or we've spent a total of three weeks. We took a break for Easter, but, but we spent three weeks talking about the first six core values that identify the personality of Grace Community Church. It's beyond our our, our doctrinal statement, uh, beyond our constitution and bylaws even. It sort of says this is who we are. These are the things that we deem the most important things about our church. And 
these all go right back to the, to, to the word. But this morning we're going to look at these last two core values. We're going to look at the eighth and final one before we back up and, and look at, at world transformation. So what do we mean when we, we talk about creativity, innovation, and excellence? That's different from any of those other core values that you see up there. All the others you can say, oh, I'm going to go, I can go to this scripture, that scripture, I just number. Well, what about this last one? It's, it, it, it's, a, it, it's a reality that we see in all of scripture, although you're going to be hard pressed to go somewhere and say, okay, here's a verse that would, uh, but that would bolster this particular core value or be the foundation for this. Well, let's see what, what it says. Uh, meeting needs is more important than maintaining programs. While our message is timeless, our methods adapt to those we are here to serve. In all that we do, we give God only our best. Meeting needs is more important than maintaining programs. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but we don't talk about programs Grace. This is a youth program. This is the children's program. This is this program or that program. We talk about ministries. Because people get, it's very easy to get married to programs and and to doing things the way that we've always done them before. And you, you know, change is hard for all of us. Well, for most of us. Some people like to change all the time. But it's, it's difficult for most of us. I, I, it looks like I'm going to spend my entire adult life in two places. TVR, Grace Community Church. All of my work years are going to be spent in two, two places. Some of you may even now be saying, we'll see about that. But, but look, you, you ain't got long. I mean, I'm almost done, you know. I'm getting up there in age. That's unusual, isn't it? It really is unusual. People just move all the time. And you know what? Uh, I, I, I don't like change all that much. I really don't. But, but, but my understanding of Scripture is this. Probably the most important quality that a disciple can possess is a willingness to change. Jesus said, you know, somebody came and said, I will follow you. He said, really? Birds of the air have nests. Foxes have holes to sleep in. I don't know where I'm going to spend the night. I don't know where I'm going to lay my head down tonight. Are you sure you want to follow me? We have to be willing to change. It's very easy to become married to programs or to certain ways of conducting church. And while we always have to allow Scripture to be our guide, our guide for our services and the activities that we participate in as a church, and while we should never change for the sake of of changing, we should also acknowledge that a great, there's a great deal about church that is just not ordered in the Scripture. A lot of people say, well, I'm not going to do this because it's not biblical. Look, there's a lot that we do that's not biblical, like sitting in chairs like this. It's extra biblical. It doesn't mean it's unbiblical, it's extra biblical. A church administrator is ridiculously extra biblical. You know, I mean, there's nothing in in church about a particular person who works in the office. Office, what's an office? Well, it's a place where you have in the building. None of that is in Scripture. But we understand this is the best way of accomplishing 
the ministry of, 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 of the gospel that God has given to us. And so we, we adjust with the times. Now we are, it's very clear in Scripture, we are told to conduct ourselves in an orderly fashion. And there are certain activities of a service that are prescribed in Scripture, and all churches need to follow them. But the manner in which they're to be carried out is not given a whole lot of attention in Scripture. We see a few examples. We see Paul preaching at midnight. We could do that. I, I like it. But not a whole lot of examples about how church will be conducted, and especially the activities outside of a church. One thing is for certain, though, we are expected to do everything that we do, even if we're slaves, Scripture says, which none of us are, but even if we're slaves and we, and we have a cruel master, we are to do what we do as unto the Lord, not with eye service pleasing men. And if we do what we do to the Lord, that means to give our very best effort in everything. It's this core value that has helped us make some of the decisions that we've made about new projectors and, and, and paving the parking lot and increasing the budget for children's ministry and putting up new lights and soon looking to improve our sound system. Why is it important to do our best and why is it that we have to spend so much time? Well, I'm going to argue with myself for, for, for just a minute, but I can tell you this, it's all about the gospel. It's not that we're trying to impress people who don't know Christ, but my goodness, if we were going to do that, we would be approaching things entirely differently than we do. But if we understand the times, good lighting and good sound are important to people who are thinking about checking out the church. Maybe, just maybe there's something to help me in this crisis. Maybe I'm going to try religion. I think I'll go to that church down the road. Maybe there's just something. We need something in our family. We need something. I need something. I'm in trouble. Now, <clears throat> it's not that people are going to come to our church and say, wow, that was a really clear PowerPoint presentation. I think I'll trust Jesus. <laughs> you know, I, that's not the point. But they might say, look, I'm not going back to that church. They couldn't tell me where my child was. And besides that, I couldn't see the speaker. It looked, you know, I saw a form moving up there, but I'm just not going back there. It's possible that your response would be, well, if the Spirit of God is working, that's not going to happen. But that's true. I mean, absolutely true. In fact, if the Spirit of God is not moving, everything we're doing is a waste of time. I mean, it's, it, or it's, it's, it's meaningless in the long term anyway, in the eternal value sense of, uh, of the way that we look at things, it's, it's not meaningful. But, you, but, but, but think about this. A number of people, a number of people who have trusted Christ at Grace Community Church have been people who have come here for a year, two, maybe even longer. They've sung the songs. They've heard the gospel presented in a lot of different ways. And in time, they've trusted Christ. And of course... You, someone might say to that, well, see, they didn't need all of these facility improvements that we seem to be on these days. To which I would respond in the words of the great theologian Bob Dylan, the times they are a-changing. Except it would be, the times they are a-changing. Come dickens and elders throughout the land. <laughs> well, I apologize for that. 
Never had many amens as, a, as that. We, we want, you know, it, it's crucial that we must understand the times if we want to be effective with gospel ministry. We want to do, as Ravi Zacharias would say, remove the obstacles that obscure the cross in people's minds. People are looking at the cross and, and, and we want to clear the way. And that's all that we're talking about doing with creativity, innovation, and excellence. Lighting and video are only a couple of the areas of improved gospel presentation. But everything we do needs to point to the gospel which exalts Jesus and glorifies the Father. It's the only hope for sinners. Without God's Spirit, don't try it. But when the Spirit is moving, do what you can to to present the gospel as well as you possibly can. Our mission is to make disciples, and making disciples begins with introducing people to Jesus as He is, the way that Scripture informs us He is, and we want to make the best presentation that we can. By the way, we're getting ready to start talking about world transformation. Did you know that 80% of first-time visitors to church come because someone that they know invited them to church? How long has it been since you've just invited somebody to church? I don't mean knocked on the door and say, can I ask you a question? Do you know if you were to die tonight where you'd go, you know, where you'd spend eternity? Just to say, hey, I want to invite you to church. Look, People are not going to be interested in settling in to this place until they know that this is a church that cares about them. We want people to know that there is hope for total transformation in Jesus. My goodness, some of you who have been Christians for a long time need that hope. That you can change. And I'm here to tell you that in the gospel there is the promise of change, whether you've never known Jesus, known anything about Him, or whether you have known Him as your personal Savior. For 40 years, there is hope in the power of the gospel. It's not that we transform anybody or we transform ourselves, but if visitors don't see the love of Jesus in us, they may not see it at all. Ever. It's just the way that God has designed it and decreed that all of this works. Our text this morning, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 4, speaks to this kind of care and the kind of effort to share Jesus with others. We're going to read that in just a moment. I'm going to point out three things to consider, barely speak to them at all. Then Ron and Debbie Stafford, our partners in the gospel who, who serve in Columbia, South America, as you've already heard, um, are, are going to come and share a little bit about the Lord now, or about their work and their ministry of the gospel in Columbia. Uh, Ron and Debbie are here for just a little longer. They'd love to get to a few of the uh, home groups, but they have limited time, so they're taking the best offers, you know, whatever you have to offer. Uh, now, I'm just kidding. That's not true at all. Um, 
Well, let's get going so we can hear from them. Our text, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Would you please stand as we read God's Word together? I suppose I have preached more from the, from the book of Colossians, although I'm really not preaching from Colossians today. You're going to catch it in the, in the home groups. You're going to catch it next week as we prepare for that day of, of fasting and prayer. Um, but I suppose I've preached more from this book than any other book not to have gone through it all the way through it. So, um, great, wonderful truth all through this book. Paul is sort of wrapping up his letter to the people in the church at Colossae, and, and he says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use, use of the time, your time with outsiders. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Father, um, thank you so much that there was somebody to explain the gospel to us. Somebody who said it in a way that we could hear it. We know the Spirit of God was involved, but we know that the Spirit never moves apart from the Word. He may prepare people for the gospel message. But people don't get saved apart from this message. So Lord, help us to make the best use of the time that we have with unbelievers. In fact, help us, Father, to take advantage of every opportunity that presents itself to share Jesus. Speak to our hearts and, and may our hearts rise and thrill with Ron and Debbie as we hear about what you're doing in Colombia. Not just because it's in Colombia, but because it's the gospel message impacting people's lives in a different culture than ours. But it's the same gospel message. We thank you for what you're doing here and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Well, a week from Wednesday, as Sean has mentioned already, we're going to hold our leadership team meetings here at the church at 6.30. But, but before we get to those meetings, we're going to be concluding the day of, of, of fasting and prayer. Look, I, I don't like to do this kind of stuff too often, but I just want to ask you, how many of you have fasted one day in this couple of years that we've been doing this? Say, I fasted one day, not that you even gathered here, that you were able to, but that you fast. How many of you have done that, have participated in that? All right, quite a few of you. And I am certain that every single person that you talk to would say, oh, it's miserable. It's just, well, they would tell you that they're very hungry by the end of the day. But they would tell you what a blessing it is. And it is a wonderful time together here. So be here at 6.30 after you fasted. Now, look, there are lots of different ways you can do fast. Some, some of the people in our church, you don't, you, you don't know, you'll never know. I, I doubt you will ever know. Have, have fasted like 40 days. They've done one of those 40-day fasts. Uh, I've never done one of those. I don't anticipate ever doing one of those in my life. 
Um, if you want to fast with us, begin your fast after dinner on Tuesday night. This is one suggestion. Then come, then all day long fast. And after the session ends here on Wednesday night, go and get something to eat. That would be a, a typical Jewish day-long fast. It was like a 24-hour fast. That's what we read about in Scripture. And a lot of them fasted for more than that, longer time than that. But that's just one way that it takes a little bit of the edge off of it. You know, if, if you've, especially if you've never done it before. Uh, early this week, or not this week, but, the, but next week, before that time, you're going to be receiving the newsletter if you get that. Uh, the newsletter article is going to be from this text. And it's going to be preparation for that time of prayer and fasting. Uh, the, the text you currently see on the screen is from the NIV, and I think it captures, especially verse 5, captures the sense of what Paul was saying here better than the ESV does. Make the most of every opportunity that you have to share Christ. We're going to be praying about that. I, I want us to just look at three things from our text, and then we're going to hear from the Stafford. Just, again, write these down and go back and think about them, pray about them, especially as you prepare to fast and pray next week about the gospel. The first thing is this, make evangelism a regular and important feature of your prayer life. When you pray, do you pray about opportunities to share Jesus with other people? I can assure you that if you will pray about that, you're going to have opportunities much quicker than you would anticipate. When God brings someone to you, do you apply our text? And as the second point says, make the most of every opportunity to engage unbelievers with the gospel. Now look, everybody that you meet, not everybody that you meet is a candidate for sharing the gospel. I doubt though that there are a lot of people here struggling with sharing Jesus too much to others. I mean, I doubt many of you saying, I just, I have to quit doing that. I mean, I just, every time I turn around, I'm talking about Jesus to somebody. Anybody here with that disease? I, I don't know, maybe a few. Um, the disease is really the other. It's, it's the shut mouth disease. Um, wow, that was a good game, wasn't it, last night? We go into something else. But when we have witnessing opportunities, it's important to be ready, as our third point suggests. Know what to say and how to say it when the opportunity arises. Could you share your faith? Could you give someone a, a, a personal testimony that would help move them toward an understanding of the gospel? Not just, you know, hey, look, I was at church and preacher said this, or my mom said this, my daddy said this, and I just thought, well, I better... Trust Jesus as my Savior. They don't know what that means. Are you able to share your faith, both your own testimony and, and, and talk with someone about how they can become a Christian, how they can put their faith and trust in Christ, what it means to repent, what it means to trust? You're able to do that. Well, that's, that's the challenge. That's the challenge of this text. It's the challenge that we're going to stop with this morning. If you don't know how to share your faith. And see Drew Peterson and let him connect you with somebody in a mentoring and a discipleship ministry so that, almost said program, ministry, so that you can 
Learn how to share your faith with others. Well, we're going to think more about these three points uh, in the newsletter and then uh, also in home groups this week. You'll be actually finishing this sermon in home groups this week.